Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the New Testament book of John. The Gospel of John will be in John chapter 1 today. And we've been in a message series titled, Who's Your One? As we think about what it means to know and to follow Jesus and to faithfully share the Gospel of Jesus, the good news of salvation, what it means to shine this light of the Gospel to those that the Lord puts in our path. You know, Jesus said, some of Jesus' most famous words come at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said to his followers, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He said, Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the church, we talk about disciples. We talk about discipleship. Uh, what does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to be faithful to this commission, the great commission that Jesus has given his followers Uh, We noted a few weeks ago that disciple is uh, a biblical word. It's a New Testament word that's used nearly 300 times in the New Testament to describe those who know and love and follow Jesus, those who believe in him. And so church, making disciples is about making students of Jesus. It's about making other followers of the Lamb, people who believe that Jesus is Lord, people who believe that he is Savior and whose lives are marked by worshiping him. By living for him. See, the truth is that Jesus commands us to spiritually produce, to engage in spiritually uh, reproducing other followers of Jesus. So that, that begs the question this morning, can anyone make disciples? Can, can any of us who, who know Jesus, who've heard the word of truth and responded with repentance and faith, can any of us engage in this practice of making disciples? Can only mature believers practice discipleship? Can only those with exceptional people skills or those with formal theological training make disciples? Well, the answer, of course, according to God's word is no. That making disciples is about introducing people to Jesus. Friends, disciple making, making disciples, producing other followers of Jesus is about introducing other people to Jesus. And in our text for this morning, this is exactly what we'll see. So let me invite you to look at God's word with me. To look at these encounters with Jesus with me and John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, and I'll read to the end of that chapter. And as you find your place in God's Word, let me uh, invite you, whether in body or in spirit, to join me standing for the reading of God's Holy Word. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, John, the follower of Jesus, says, The next day John, this is another John, John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. 
Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Would you bow with me for prayer? Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for your word and thanking you for your presence in our lives and in this place. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And so, Lord, now we ask you, we invite you, we want you to to instruct us, to correct us, to confront us, to encourage us by the truth of your word through the presence and power of your spirit in our lives. Lord, lead us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, here's a quite a lengthy text, uh, but in this passage, we have several encounters with Jesus that are strung together. And we're not going to unpack every verse of this passage, every detail of this uh, passage this morning, but I want us to see uh, some consistent emphases across this ongoing dialogue, and namely that disciple making is about introducing people to Jesus. It's about taking people to Jesus. And that's exactly what we have repeatedly represented here. There's a a come and see invitation. There's a come and see invitation that's issued by Jesus in verse 39. Come and you will see where I'm staying. It's issued by Andrew in verse 42. Come and see Jesus. By Philip in verse 46. Come and see. You see, disciple making is about introducing people to Jesus. But of course, we can't introduce people to Jesus if we don't know Jesus. And once again, disciple making is not about winning an intellectual argument. It's not about imposing a particular set of Christian standards or values upon the broader society. It is about following Jesus. Friend, are you following Jesus? We must follow Jesus. If we are to be faithful to the word of God, if we're going to be faithful to our Lord, we must be a people who follow after Jesus. So John the disciple, the one who writes this gospel, is writing uh, about another John. He's writing about the famous John the Baptist, uh, whose ministry is all about announcing uh, the arrival of the Messiah. And in this particular point in history, the grand plan of, of God's plan throughout human history, at this particular point, the Messiah has arrived. He is here, the perfect lamb, the substitute for sinners. The Son of God in human flesh. He has arrived. The fullness of time is here. And John, realizing his own place in the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, begins pointing his already established following to consider abandoning him and following after Jesus. We have a self-imposed demotion here, if you will. The next day, John, verse 35, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, there's the Lamb of God. His disciples may have responded, John, we know you're a big deal. But the Lamb of God, 
We've got to check this out. And reading between the lines, John gives them his permission. Yes, go. So when the two disciples heard him say this, verse 37, they followed Jesus. Verse 39, so they went and saw where he was stayed and they spent that day with him. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who did what? Who, who followed Jesus. And again in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now granted, in context, these disciples, these people were invited to literally follow Jesus. To walk alongside him and behind him, to go where he went, walking with God in the flesh on the dusty roads of Galilee. But the implication, the call was greater than that. The call was to learn from him. More than just to hang out with him for a little while. It's about learning. It's about submission. It's about discipleship. And we're told that one of the two disciples who decided to go with Jesus was Andrew. We don't hear a lot about Andrew. His name really is only mentioned a few times in the New Testament. One of the disciples was named Andrew. The other one, according to most scholars, most people believe that it was John. John often refers to himself in his own gospel without mentioning his own Name, But in any event, this was likely these two guys' first encounter with Jesus Christ. Their first time to see him, but consider the additional call that came shortly thereafter. A text that we looked at a few weeks ago, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. In other words, this call that Jesus issues to his disciples, to these first disciples, uh, is to forsake what they've been doing and to devote their days to the mission of Christ, to come and learn from him, to give themselves to him, to hear from him, to exalt him, to, to submit to him, to bow before him and to make much of him. Have you ever forsaken something And began devoting yourself to something else. Maybe when you left school and you began to work or uh, something to that effect. We've all done this at some season or time or another. We've left something behind in order to pursue something else. I'll give you a childish example of this. Yesterday, uh, the Jones family went for a little ride to uh, do some errands in the middle of the day. And we, uh, as is often the case in the middle of the day, when we do that, our youngest, uh, this is an opportunity opportune time for him to fall asleep and so that's exactly what he did he'll be two in a week and uh he needed his nap and so he's snoozing in the car uh but when we get home we gotta get out of the car and so little guy wakes up and what happens when a two-year-old's nap is interrupted too soon he begins to get upset really upset Nothing consoles him. Nothing satisfies him. He's in the middle of a tantrum. And you guys who have had or do have young kids, you know, I think exactly what I'm talking about. And we get home. And one thing about that particular trip, because he was asleep, he missed our stop. We made it Dairy Queen to get a little ice cream treat. And so he gets into the kitchen and he noticed that his oldest, his older brother and older sister, they're consuming the last bit of their ice cream. And so he suddenly perks up and thinks... Maybe I can get some of that ice cream. And so I see the opportunity before me, seizing the day. I said, Pat, or say, Eli, do you, do you want some ice cream? Suddenly, the mood shifts dramatically. Daddy gets him a little chocolate ice cream. Not much, but his day is made. He abandons the fit, and he is devoted to the ice cream. 
And that is the picture to some extent of what is happening here. These guys have been following John the Baptist. They've been submitting to him. They've been learning from him. They know that he is a man of God who's being used by God. And here comes Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh. And they forsake John and they begin to follow after Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What certainly means that we must spend time with Jesus. Church, we must be a people who spend time with Jesus. To fail to spend time with Jesus is to fail to truly follow him. We may live some 6,500 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. Some 1,990 years after Christ issued this call to Andrew and John. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus has issued the same spiritual invitation to us. He has issued an invitation for us to know and to follow and to commune with Him. The same invitation that He did to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And turning around, Jesus saw these two of John's former disciples and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Where are you headed? Can we come with you? We want to hear more from you. And what does Jesus say? Come on. And you'll see. John says, so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. I ask you something this morning. When was the last time you spent a day with Jesus? When was the last time that you really communed with God? Do you know that we serve a Savior, a God who wants to spend the day with us. He wants us to rest in him. We serve a God who says, come and see, come join me. Come talk to me. Come learn from me. Come bow before me. Come lean on me. Come rest in me. Church, the very one who took up residence in our place on our earth, on this earth, invites us to reside with him as long as we walk on this earth and to come and reside in his place forevermore. Those who rest in him, those who by faith submit to him, Those who move from an inquirer to surrender, from intellect to submission, from expressions of religion to engaging in a relationship, they want more of Him. They've tasted and seen that He is good. Let me ask you this morning, have you tasted and seen that He is good? Do you want more of Him? Those who know Him, those who follow Him want more of Him because they know, the saved know, that nothing in this world satisfies like Jesus satisfies. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those when I get hot, tired, sweaty, thirsty, I want water. Uh, There are other things uh, that I like to drink, namely, that probably didn't sound good, uh, tea. I like tea, sweet and unsweet tea, particularly sweet tea. But uh, when I'm hot and thirsty, when I'm parched, I want water. Tea may sound good, but I know I've experienced it before with all that sugar. I'm going to continually be thirsty for a little while after that. I need water to satisfy. Nothing satisfies when you're thirsty like water. And likewise, nothing satisfies our spiritual longing to know God. Our desire for purpose and significance and satisfaction and answers. Nothing satisfies that like Jesus does. So friend, are you spending time with Jesus? We must spend time with Jesus. Not because time with Jesus earns us brownie points or favor with God, but because time with Jesus satisfies and sustains and strengthens us like nothing in this world can satisfy, sustain, and strengthen us. You probably remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. On that occasion, uh, Jesus performs this incredible miracle. He feeds several thousand people from five small barley loaves and a couple fish and shortly after this 
uh, Jesus begins teaching his disciples about the significance of what he's really doing. And Jesus says to us, he, he uses that tangible example of his physical provision for them to declare that he is the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he implies that true spiritual life and provision only come through his body and his blood. He's alluding to the the feast of unleavened bread. He's alluding to the Passover celebration, implying that he is the true and perfect Passover lamb whose body would be broken and whose blood would be spilled, sparing sinners. And after that conversation, after that account, Jesus uh, is, is talking to his disciples and, and John records this dialogue. He says, from this time on, John chapter 6, verse 66, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In other words, there were masses of people who were intrigued by Jesus. They liked much of what he said. They certainly liked to witness his miracles. But here, when Jesus says this, this is too much. Jesus, you, you've gone off the deacon. I, I, I can't do that, so I'm going to go my own way. Many of them abandon him, is what John says. And Jesus responds, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I think that we may be seeing a 21st century repeat of John chapter 6. Where many supposed disciples are turning back and no longer following Jesus. We hear this often in our own day, don't we? That uh, the, the people are, are just uh, no longer attending church. Church attendance is dropping across the board. College students are abandoning the faith. Even some church leaders are renouncing the faith. But friends, Jesus sort of laid it out there. Jesus didn't seem too interested in gimmicks that might draw a crowd or an easy believism that appealed to the masses. No, Jesus called for disciples that would turn away from sin and self and truly follow after him. He's not looking for perfection from us. He gives perfection to us. He's not looking to burden us. He carries our burdens for us. The Lord of all loves us. He's near to us and he longs for us to fellowship with him. So let's spend time with him. Let's spend time with Jesus. Let's turn and trust in Jesus. Let's get to know Jesus and then let's tell others about him. Church, we must invite those we know to know Jesus. Let's invite those we know to know to know Jesus. Disciple making is about introducing people to Jesus. So let's be a people who introduce others to Jesus. I do use the word must this morning rather cautiously. We must follow Jesus. We must spend time with Jesus. We must invite others to know Jesus. Because I know that at the moment I use that word that many of us hear a, a list of rules. A lot of us like a list of rules. We sort of check that box and say, we, we can do this. And that's not my intent this morning. Because there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves, left to ourselves. None of us can satisfy God's righteous requirement of the law. Hence the coming of Christ. To do for us what we can never do on our own. The grace of Almighty God. So it's so great about our God. That He accomplishes salvation for us. He has done it. Jesus in my place. Pastor J.D. Greer of the Summit Church in North Carolina and a current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he, he often summarizes the gospel to his church in that way. Jesus in my place. Church, let me invite you to say that after me. Jesus in my place. 
Again, Jesus in my place. That is the gospel that Jesus has taken in the flesh. He has taken the penalty and the punishment of our sins on the cross. And He has bore the weight of our sin and guilt before the Most High God. And in exchange, He gives us His righteousness. He he gives us His right standing with God. He invites us to have His position. And God looks at us who repent and believe and turn and trust in Christ no longer as guilty sinners, but as those saved by His grace. He sees us as His adopted children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's the gospel we believe in. Jesus took what we deserve and gives us what only He deserves. It doesn't get any better than that. And friends, when we realize that, we want to follow Him. We want to spend time with Him. We want to spend time with Jesus and we want to invite others to know Jesus. And how incredible, how awesome, how awesome is it that God Most High chooses us. He chooses weak and wounded and weary, flawed people to be the proclaimers of His good news, to be ambassadors of the gospel, to represent Him, to announce Him, to tell the world about Him. That's what we see happening here. In essence, John the Baptist says, Hey guys, this is the one. Follow Him. Andrew says, Hey Baba, Peter, we found the one. Come and see Jesus, Philip says to his buddy Nathaniel, uh, the one the prophets foretold is here. Jesus of Nazareth is here. Come and see him. In other words, these guys encounter Jesus and then they begin to live out the call to make disciples right where they are. They invite the ones they know to know Jesus. And one of the incredible things about their witness, I think, is that they didn't fully understand what they were declaring. The Lamb of God Messiah, the one the scriptures speak of. These are things that they said, all true statements about the identity of Jesus. Yet these guys would come to understand the significance of those declarations as Jesus' ministry unfolded. But we live on the other side of this. We read this stuff backwards, so to speak. We already know that Jesus went to the cross for us and that he was raised triumphantly from the dead. And that's certainly not to say that we know everything. We don't know everything, but we do have a privileged position in salvation history. And we are commissioned to proclaim what we do know, that salvation has come by God's grace and that it must be applied to the lives of all those who turn and trust in Christ. This is good news, but it's news that must be received. In other words, without this news, we remain in a real predicament. Without responding to this news, we remain in a poor position. We remain in need of forgiveness, awaiting God's judgment for our sins, His wrath. Until we trust, turn and trust in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice to save us. In other words, those who don't turn and trust in Christ remain condemned by their sin. And they need to know. They need to know. And so it's our task to tell them. To tell them the truth of God's mercy and His justice and His grace of life in Him. And so where do we start? If we're called to make disciples, and indeed we are. If we're called to make disciples, where do we begin the process? Who do we engage I think the most natural starting place is in our own home. Let's begin at home. Let's begin at home. We don't know too much about Andrew, but we know a lot about Peter. And consider the chain of events here. John the Baptist tells Andrew about Jesus. 
And then Andrew goes and tells Peter about Jesus. And then Peter announces to the world, the known world at the time, and certainly now through the context of of God's Word, written and published and reproduced Word of God all over the world. Peter announces to the world. Peter appears all over the New Testament. He preaches the famous Pentecost sermon where thousands come to faith in Jesus. He confronts the religious and political rulers of his day who arrest him for preaching the gospel. He writes two letters that are in our New Testament, in the completed, written, authoritative Word of God. Certainly an imperfect man. Though imperfect, Peter is a hero of the faith. But to Andrew, Peter was simply his brother. And Andrew met Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was go find his brother because he knew his brother needed to meet Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, does your brother need to meet Jesus? Does your sister need to meet Jesus? What about mom or dad, grandpa or grandma? What about your children? Who in your family needs to meet Jesus? Who who do you know? Who who has God put in your path? Who in your family needs to hear about Jesus? I mentioned some time back that in our house we found the the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones to be a tremendous uh, resource for uh, communicating the stories of God's Word and having faith conversations in the home. And so over the last few months, uh, we've been doing this uh, fairly often, not every day, but as, as much as, uh, as, as, I don't know how to say that, we should do it more, but we've done it a good bit. How about that? Uh, around the dinner table. Uh, and so I'll be honest, this last week, early this week, after spending some time in this text, I think it was Monday evening, I was reading this and I was convicted of the truth of, uh, of this account and sensing the Spirit of God prodding me to be a bit, a bit more proactive in engaging my own kids with the gospel. And so Monday evening, uh, we had an extra long devotional. Ever had one of those? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe. You've heard an extra long sermon, I'm sure. Uh, so we were sitting at the table, and usually the kids want to do this sort of coinciding with dinner because, uh, so I guess you killed two birds with one stone. But on this night, uh, the devotion went well beyond dinner. Uh, and I remember asking the question, so why did Jesus come? The response I got was, uh, Jesus came to die for our sins. Good answer. But why? Why did Jesus need to die for our sins? And so daddy took a little extra liberty and time to explain the whole sacrificial system and the need for for cleansing and forgiveness before a holy God that prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. And I know some of you are picturing this sort of long-winded preacherly explanation with an eight, five, and two-year-old. I don't really think it was like that. But I do remember one of my kids wondering and even voicing, daddy, how much longer? To which I responded to them, as long as it takes, you're my one today. And we're going to talk about Jesus. Friends, who's your one? Who in your family needs to hear about Jesus? The Spirit instructs us. The Apostle Paul, his parents, he says, fathers, and this could be translated parents do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the lord so parents let's be people who teach our children about jesus god has entrusted them to us expecting us to do so let's participate in christ's commission to make disciples by inviting those we know to know jesus 
Let's begin at home. Let's saturate our suppers with conversations about Jesus. Let's fill our bedtime routine with praise and prayers to the Most High God, the God who saves. Let's be a people who incorporate church attendance and participation into our family schedule every single week. Let's be a people who make disciples of Jesus, not neglecting the mission field that God has bound to us as family. Begin at home, but don't stay there. Don't stay in the home. If we all made making disciples of Jesus in the home the number one priority for us as it ought to be, uh, then our families may flourish by God's grace as followers of Jesus. But what about the rest of the world? We need to shine the light of the gospel beyond the four walls of our personal address so the rest of the world will hear the truth and run out of darkness into the marvelous light of God's grace. Begin at home. But we've got to know more than just those in our own homes. To be faithful with the opportunities the Lord gives us to shine the light of the gospel, we must also befriend our neighbors. So befriend your neighbor. There's a couple starting points. Begin at home, befriend your neighbor. Jesus certainly broadened our understanding of who our neighbor is to really everyone that we encounter, everyone in need of help. But I want to talk here for just a moment as we close about our literal neighbors. Those near us. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you know the names of their kids? Do you know what they do and what they like? Have they ever been in your home? Have they been in your have they sat at your table? Have they heard about Jesus and the hope of eternity? Are you confident that they have heard the gospel of Jesus and they have had an opportunity to turn and trust Christ to save them? Jesus said to his followers, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Of course, this is in fulfillment of what he's already told them, that I'm going to leave and the Spirit's going to come and he's going to guide you. He's going to dwell in you. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we often think about the ends of the earth. I hope we do. We often think about missions as a trip or a partnership in another part of the world. It certainly is that, but it's also more than that. Jesus tells his followers, start where you are. Start right where you are. Start in Jerusalem. Start in Birmingham. Start in your neighborhood. Start in Meadowbrook or Eagle Point or Greystone or Brook Island. Start where the Lord has you. Let's be faithful in the place that God has placed us. Friend, are you shining the light of Jesus? Are you introducing people to Jesus, the hope of the world? Disciple making is about introducing people to Jesus. So let's introduce people to Jesus. Would you bow with me? Father, once again, we express thanks that someone introduced us to Jesus. Father, we thank you that we have heard the truth Lord, if not before, we've heard it now. We've heard about the gospel that saves. That salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Father, may we build our lives upon the truth of that message. Lord, overwhelm us with your goodness and your mercy, your love, your compassion, your kindness, your patience, your forgiveness that you extend to us. Not because we deserve it, but because of your character and your love. 
Father, may we be a people who respond to the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray this morning that all of us would respond to the truth of the gospel. Father, I do pray for those that have gathered with us this morning that have not repented, that have not turned and trusted in Jesus for salvation, that today would be the day of salvation. Or that today would be the day of receiving a new identity in Jesus Christ, knowing the certainty of a future with you. And Father, may we be a people who respond to the truth of the gospel and build our lives upon the person, the ministry, the work, the calling of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. And may gospel conversations flow out of our lives as we commune with you. And may you use us to point others to you. Lord, hear our faith and our praise now as we respond to you. Lead us in a way that glorifies the name of Jesus. Guide us by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.